Harry O'Sullivan, Harriet Hay and Terry's, Terry Sullivan for their first appearance on Radio and Ready for Mantle uh, after completing the course. So we'll do all this again all next week and uh, catch you then. Bye-bye. Listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Football program, our last show of 2020. Today is November 28. Happy birthday, John O'Connell, for a birthday this week. And happy birthday, Diane. It's her birthday today. And a huge thank you to my entire absolutely awesome team in the studio. We're all here today. We'll take photos and post them to the, the Facebook page just to prove we are all in the studio. Myself, Penny Tannerhoth, and Sean Kelly will be hosting today. Good, Good morning. morning. And Pete Skiller. Hugh. Good morning, everyone. And Miranda. Hello. And if uh, you can't hear us or something is not quite right or you want to give a shout out, you can land something on our Facebook page, The World Football Program, or you can text us on 0408 
921832. We have an absolute stack of guests on the show today. Well, planned to be on the show. They might not all make it because of where they are and, and what's happening, but it includes James Curtis, Steph Brantz, Greg Farrell, Simon Hill, Chris Niku, Nick Galatis, uh, Elizabeth Reed, Derek Pollock, and there's probably some more in there. Tony Sage. Tony Sage, yep. <clears throat> Sorry, Tony. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll try and get to everybody And uh, it's a snapshot show today It's uh, how we went into to, uh, 2020 um, Good, bad, highs, lows And then we'll just move on Because there's a lot that has happened this year And all of the guests I feel And all of us in this year Will probably represent that in two hours Probably Absolutely. five hours yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But we'll try and squeeze yeah. it all in um, So what we might do is I'll hand over to you guys, you can um, banter amongst yourselves and I'll get our first guest on the show. So, Sean, you can lead. Go for it. Yeah, I think, look, everyone would agree the worst thing about this year has been COVID. It's, it's absolutely devastated football across the world. What's that again? <laughs> yeah, COVID. Yeah, absolutely. No, look, it's, it's, it's the end of the A-League season was, was awful in the hub. You've looked mm-hmm. at the, the Premier League playing in, in soulless grounds, um, which in the case of... Uncertain club, West Brom's not oh, norm, yeah, um, normal. But, you know. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Wolves there for a minute. No, no, Wolves is totally, but yeah. Um, but we're getting out of it. We've had people um, recently going over on uh, camps. <laughs> um, COVID has affected your camp. Yeah, definitely. We had to do um, a lot of prep leading up to it just to be able to go away and don't envy um, Vito, our manager, with all the paperwork that he had to do. Um, we had to do... 14 days prior, we had to do daily COVID monitoring, so waking up, and that was due at 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time, so 7 o'clock here. (laughs) But but unlike normal camps where you just mingle and go around, you had to sit at one certain place. Yeah, exactly. So we had designated seats for eating and for travelling, and we had um, our own rooms and weren't allowed to... Um, go into each other's rooms and, you know, socially mingle as we normally would on a camp and um, it was difficult because you'd almost, you'd go to breakfast and then be in your room until lunch and then train in the afternoon. Um, But I think it was, so people ended up staying in the meal rooms for a lot longer because that was where we were allowed to socialise. So breakfast, we'd eat and then stay in there for a few hours and just chat and it was really good to get to know a lot of the players that haven't met before so because it was a good mix of um, youth players and also experienced W League players so learning from their experiences um, yeah just great and and great to see another West Australian there in Tash Rigby yeah definitely and you know she's always going to go over and put her best foot forward and make a great impression (laughs) I'm just wondering how she went with the COVID compliance because she's a a gregarious woman (laughs) (laughs) no I think she did what she's told (laughs) (laughs) no come on it's Tash we're talking about (laughs) Guys, we've got James Curtis, the CEO of Football West, on the line. Good morning, James. Good morning, all. How are we? Good, thank you. We're pretty fantastic. We are having a show full of reflections of 2020 because it's the last show that we'll be having for this year. And for everybody that's asked out there, why are we stopping? It's because... COVID. Yeah, (laughs) well, well, because... (laughs) 
It's because we generally have a break because football finishes. And in the last few years, no, it hasn't. It just doesn't stop. But um, we don't get paid enough to go through the holiday period. Like the leave loading in the double time and a half doesn't work, does it, Sean? No, it doesn't. Now, James, um, COVID has has affected Football West as it has everybody else. At the start, it was awful. We didn't look like we were going to get a season going. Thanks to you and your team, we we actually were one of the few states that got a full season out there in, in one way or another. So I think that's one of the highlights of the season for me was that we actually got games played across juniors, um, senior men and women. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, how good were the, the clubs uh, for me and associations, volunteers? Because I think, you know, we're all thrown, you know, pretty strongly in different directions early on, moving, you know, each 24 hours in different directions. And um, I've got to say that, it, you know, as a sport, we did so well uh, getting together and just making sure that we got those games on the pitches. As you say, you know, it might have looked a bit different, um, but everyone, I think, really enjoyed the season, being able to get out there and play and, you know, the chat through the week, um, you know, up up north and then also some conversations over east that, where they haven't been able to finish a season. Gee, you know, there's a bit of luck and good fortune and also a fair bit of hard work by everyone. So, oh, I think the know, hard work, yeah, across the winning. state. Everyone across the states worked very, very hard. You, you mentioned volunteers, a lot of whom were um, immunocompromised, and you know everyone's pulled together. The clubs, um, you know, with a, a different structure of the competition, yeah, maybe one or two tweaks. But I think you know to do what they've done over the year has been fantastic. Um, yourselves, you, you had a torrid time at the start, and uh, we've lost some people along the way. But you, you've gained some new team members coming in, and everything is looking positive for next year. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's one of these things where, um, you know, we all, we, we're obviously going to try and have a breath. Everyone's going to take a bit of a breath for whatever off-season there is, if there is even an off-season. But, uh, you know, I think we've all learned a lot as to how we, uh, you know, play and structure football uh, in the future, um, you know, across the 12 months of the year. 2021, you know, we're, we're, we're still on our toes. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, until there's a vaccine and until yeah. things are steady, uh, you know, it, it's going to be slightly uncertain, but we're certainly all better for the run, I think. Um, you know, we've got some, some uh, you know, new new requirements uh, that the government seems to be announcing each well, week. Well, so. and, and also the ones that are coming through from FIFA around professional leagues and, and the, the transfer deadlines for those that will have an effect on... Um, definitely yeah. the the WNPL and the NPL, as well as the state league. Yeah, spot on, and I, I think that's you know I think that's the thing that uh, we're we're all uh, probably a lot more prepared for is you know it, it will continue to evolve, continue to change. You know we'd like to have uh, a big lead in, but um, you know I think the one thing we've learned is that that it can change in twenty four hours. But um, you know look, I think. We're better for uh, for the run that we've had in in this uh, last couple of months, um, and I think we're well prepared for 2021 uh, and onwards. Um, or certainly, I don't think we could be in a much better space, even though I prefer not to be in the space that we're mm. in at this stage. But um, you know, I think again, everyone's everyone's done a cracking job, and and hopefully they do get a couple of weeks break. Um, 
I don't think that's the case for most people <laughs> in Cobland. No. Well, and, and I mentioned that earlier. That's one of the reasons that um, yeah, people have been on our case. Why are you taking a break? And that's because football has become 12 months of the year now, which, you know, it's a business, isn't it, James? And that's how you get an income. That's how you cater for the diversity and everyone's interest in the community and for football. And that's what helps us grow. So I get that. So Hugh is going to have to train up to become a host. Miranda yeah. is not going to have to go over <laughs> Eastern Park <Park> football. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll be on for 12 and months you, of the year. And Hugh can do Boxing Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose that the one well, thing, though, that come, comes across from this year, and it, it's through through all the clubs, through all the families involved in clubs and uh, Football West, FA, and everybody included, is resilience. And I think that's been the catch cry for everybody this year. And I think, you know, as WA uh, residents, we're used to being resilient. It's just that we've had this opportunity to prove it this year. Yeah, yeah I, you're absolutely right. And I think that's... That, um been shown as well across, uh, you know, uh, over east. So certainly any of the conversations that I've had with um, Football Australia, as they're now known, and um, and other member federations, it's actually how well they've run has had a red hot crack. And they do say we do things differently over here, and I think we do. Um, and I think that's uh, that's been a big plus for us. James, it's been fantastic having you on the show and thanks for the opportunity um, with all the Football West staff that you've uh, uh, given us access to in the year. We do appreciate that and we hope that continues into 2021. Yeah, no, my, my pleasure. It should be uh, exciting. The team will continue to evolve. We've got some uh, you know, nice football people that have come in and uh, you know back into football, so that's exciting. And, and let's just hope we've got another, well, we've got a much better 2021 uh, ahead. Yep, good one. Thank you and have a safe Christmas and a happy one. Uh, all good. Thanks, thanks. Cheers. Good Thank on you. you. See ya. Thank you. That was James Curtis, the CEO of Football West. And uh, a big thank you from myself to all you guys, Sean, Pete, Hugh and Miranda and Don, who's yep. uh, spent a large part of this year and is having a rest now, a well-earned rest. Uh, thank you, everybody. We do appreciate um, the time that you guys put in. We appreciate uh, all of the contributors to the show, everyone that lands on the Facebook page, Ian Dennis, uh, Joe, uh, Peter Wright, the contributes, comments, post, uh, prod. Um, it's fantastic. Thank you. Keep it up. And all of the guests that we've had this year, we can name um, Greg Werner from um, the Australian uh, Football Before the A-League uh, page, Tom Samani, Mick Murray, uh, Dave Kindness, uh, the guys from Soccer Scene, uh, Football West, Tommy Dolman. And by the way, Tommy Dolman, who's been um, match commentating on the live stream this year, he's fantastic. Mm. I, I reckon that lad could Talk go further. Mm. Yeah. 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 I've been listening to uh, Simon Hill commentate, and now he's out of Fox. He's commentating in other areas. And Tommy's done a really good job. He's well researched. He's very clear. He puts good inflections in, and he's very good to listen to. So, Tommy, if you're listening out there, mate, I'm behind you to <laughs> keep your job with Football West here in WA and go further. Uh, Perth Glory, Matt Stacey, Tash Rigby, Hannah Lowry, uh, Bobby Despotowski, everybody, thank you very much for contributing to the show. We appreciate it. And our sponsors this year, uh, Louis Prospero and Prosperity Strata Management, um, West Coast Futsal, Gate and Fence Hardware, Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. Thank you very much. And jumping back in next year, West Coast Futsal, Gate and Fence Hardware WA and Oswest Fencing. And we hope that the partnerships will continue with Perth Glory and Football West. So if you want to be a part of the show, we are a community show. You can become a member. That helps. Just contact the station. We do appreciate that. It costs about 33 bucks to become a member. All of that helps keep us on air because we pay for the studio time right through the year. Um, or you can just uh, contact us, 0408 
921832 if you would like to be a sponsor or partner of the program. Guys, um, Hugh, over to you for a moment. Moments of this year for you. Well, yeah, there's been several. I mean, one of my favourites was, um, I've, got, I've got the date down here. It is uh, the 23rd of July when West Brom uh, got that 2-2 draw uh, against Queen's Park Rangers that uh, upset so many Brentford fans. That was, <laughs> that was a highlight for me, but uh, obviously we can't uh, go too far into the programme without mentioning Di- Diego Maradona yeah. and, and the sad passing there. So um, that... Yeah, it's one of the, the the big memories. I won't say a highlight because obviously that's that, that's no highlight for anybody. But one of the big memories from from this year that I'll uh, have forever. I would have thought. Mm. Um, with that in mind, I've, I've got a, a little article here about Diego uh, and that game that most people will talk about from '86 from uh, from the referee um, who who helped him uh, get that referee Ali bin Nasser, and people remember. The, the referee from that game going, oh, why didn't he give the handball? And, you know, you can only give what you see, but one of the things that he's taken away from, from that game was the goal of the century. I mean, uh, most, English, oh, absolutely. most English players will, will, will tell you, uh, and fans will tell you, well, why didn't anyone just kick him into Rosette? Oh, Terry Butcher tried. And, and you, have to, <laughs> you have to look at that, that yeah, goal, yeah. and at least five of the English players... Oh, had, six. ...had a go yeah. at him. And uh, as uh, Ali bin Nassar said, he goes, he could have given the f- a free kick numerous occasions, at least four different times, yeah. including a penalty. No, I agree. And he takes from that, that the memory that at any time he could have stopped that, that goal of the century by, by going free kick here, Terry Butcher, there's your card, <laughs> there's a penalty, which would have been an easy decision. But, but I think that, that, sum, that sums up Diego Maradona oh, yeah. in, a, in, in a game. You know, you've got the, the devil in him, which was yep. the hand of God, yep. and then you, you've got the sublime skill it took to walk around six Englishmen and just put mm. the ball in the back of the net as easy as you like. That's One it. of the best goals ever scored yeah. in the World Cup. Yeah, well, again, as they say, it's a, the goal of the century in the World Cup, and... And the hand of God, that, that was self-proclaimed by Maradona. Nobody, nobody from the media came out with that. that no. that's, the, that's the thought process that he had. <laughs> and you, you've got the political um, backdrop to that with, uh, with 82. But, yeah, as I say, the, the, the people need to, to at least recognise the, the input the referee had on that day. Yeah. That, that he, could have, he could have quite easily have, have stopped that and we would have been denied that, that yeah. memory. Yeah. yeah. Miranda, over to you. Yeah, um, I think for this year, my highlight would have been um, coming back from my injury. I think that was a, uh, a long-term process for me. Um, I had my surgery around uh, October last year. So um, getting back and getting a full season in um, with the NPL that we were blessed enough to have. Um, talking to some of the girls from Victoria, they weren't lucky enough to have that. So no. Um, the fact that I did have a season to go back to um, and get to know and work with Ben as a coach new to the program was a real highlight for me just that whole season. Yeah. And a pretty average season by all counts. <laughs> 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 no, it was, um, it was good to find my feet again, um, yeah. just get some consistent game time in um, and then rewarded with this at the end of the year, this camp and... Um, it was a year where we didn't know if there would be any international football on the hand. So, um, and I think the purpose of the camp, and because um, it was the first women's talent ID camp in Australia, and I think 
that was held in response to the performance gap report. I don't know if you saw that. But I certainly did. Yeah, identifying mm. that problem in um, Australian football for both men and women yeah. that um, yeah. players are falling through the cracks. Um, so as a, as a young and upcoming player, you see that performance gap and you think to yourself, I'm there, I, I want to fill that gap. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I think um, a lot of players my age look at that and especially in WA, I think we've got a little mini golden era coming through. We had the most... Um, WA players repping in the Junior Matildas team ever, I think, with um, yep. five of us going over and have um, a few players in and around the Young Matildas squad as well. So um, I think WA football is looking bright and that, you know, um, being involved in some coaching and looking through to players even younger than myself. And yeah, it's all very exciting, I think. Have you, have you heard anything about any upcoming international games or is it still off the calendar? Um, not for the first team, but um, Young Matildas, we've obviously got um, World Cup uh, World Cup qualifiers in um, March, I think it is. Okay. Um, and so they've scheduled a international break during that time in the W League because I think um, that's sort of the purpose with all the Matildas going is kind of nurturing the next generation and um, they're structuring the league around that. So... Um, yeah, hopefully we'll get a few camps in building up to gel the team. Yeah. We've got uh, Elizabeth Ree on the line now, who is the new president of the West Australian Football Hall of Fame. Good morning, Liz. How are you going? I'm very good, Penny. How are you this morning? We're, and how's the listeners? We're all buzzing along. I'm sure the listeners are, <laughs> are eager to hear all of the banter that you always infill to this show, Liz. Quite happy to help. <laughs> <laughs> of course. It's a very informative show and people look forward to it because you keep people up to date on what's happening. Yes, and as a um, councillor in the city of Stirling, I'm sure you're out there networking and uh, got your ear to the ground with everything. So uh, what's happening today for Liz? Well, what's happening today, there's a lot of community support with the fact that uh, more commun- COVID's taught people that they need to know what's going on in their backyard. Mm. So people had to live in their houses, walk around, look at the parks, look at their houses and think, I need to move or I need to renovate or I need to move from who I'm living with. Seems to be a pattern going on there. (laughs) But it actually is actually healthy for people because people are now taking time out, as Shakespeare said, to stop and smell the roses. And I think that's one of the most important things. Uh, I, I think it's been difficult for a lot of people um, both financially, for mentally, um, and sports-wise has really, really suffered. Not only the ability for people to go out and play sport, um, mix with friends, the, um, the relief, the p- pleasure people get from team sports is, can never, ever be classified or categorised in a number. It's just so important, team sports, for people's health and well-being. And that was disperse during COVID so people are coming to terms with that and the clubs themselves financially trying to get back up do they get back up don't they get back up do they join with other clubs how do they financially work out what to do some people are still hesitant about whether or not they should play whether they should mix with people um so that issue hasn't changed yeah, I've, I've been saying to people for a long time, I think we're going to take two or three years to get over the COVID headache. It's, um, I think after the Spanish flu, they reckoned it was three years before things went gradually back to normal. People were afraid to go into crowds, be in, in big crowds in football games and, and go back and socialise as we used to. And I think we're, we're just getting used to that idea. 
Uh, that's true. But, I mean, as people said the other day, especially the economists, we don't need to go back to the way we were with a lot of things. We actually need to reflect on what we're doing, what we don't do. I mean, the people realise that so much of our products and services don't come from Australia, don't come from Western Australia. So instead mm. of just building houses, we should be building manufacturing plants. We yes. should be building yeah. affordable housing if we're going to. But we need the manufacturing because that's where the long-term jobs are. That's what makes us self-sufficient, even yeah. if we're only making toilet paper and tissue. But even, thing, but even <laughs> things like penicillin, we're not... We weren't able to make our own. We're completely reliant on another nation, and we should we should have our own plant. If, we, if all it is is to build a very small amount of it, at least we we have some resilience within that. If we're it, totally dependent on another market, we're 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 stuck. Yep. Well, it's exactly right, and and that is the point. We we can't be looking at something of building a house for today and the jobs for today. We have to look at the future, and the future is manufacturing. Why aren't we doing more about recycling? I I don't know. That's what keeps jobs. Jobs keep people happy. Jobs keep people going and having a sense of purpose. Keeps their money coming in, so they can actually help sustain the economy. So it's a knock-on effect, which is great. Yeah, I think we could fill a whole show with with recycling and and the problems we have and the perils of that we have in this country. But um, I think one of the things that has shown people is what's important. And whilst you've been stuck at home with your kids, rather than sitting there moaning about, oh, my kids are driving me mad, people have been involved with their children more than they ever have before. And they've sat there and they've played um, the the good old games like Monopoly and Game of Life and done jigsaw puzzles together. Subudio. Subudio, yeah. But, but all of those things that, that have, have really made people become family-centric and we've reconnected with that, which we didn't have when there was all these other distractions going on. I think that's not been a bad thing. Well, the psychologist will tell you that the first four weeks of COVID, the internet, the Wi-Fi usage was so high, yeah. it, it just couldn't cope. And then people decided to be humans again and went, yeah. nah, putting it down. And that's when they realised they had to have the human contact. People overdosed on the internet, they overdosed on games. Kids then realised they just didn't want to play games anymore. And parents, even though it was a good babysitting tool to start with, realised they couldn't do it. So it was actually a very good evolution as a family unit, as you said. Absolutely. Now, with with the Hall of Fame, um, are we looking any closer to getting a a physical home for the, the Hall of Fame yet? Well, one of the one of my highs of the year was, of course, becoming the um, president of the Football Hall of Fame in Western Australia, which I take with both pride and privilege to do so. And that is our aim: is to get a, a museum for all the for all the wonderful memorabilia that we're collecting. And and we'd like to just thank everybody who's been contributing because there's so many people that have found things in their shed while in COVID. Uh, cleaning out their houses and they've been wonderful to donate and when we actually get a home we'll be able to show the history of all those products and uh, and um, special people that have actually came to Western Australia to play um, which will be fantastic as a lovely history museum but unfortunately with COVID um, both financially and building wise and sports wise everything has just stayed but in the meantime we've actually used that opportunity to source more of the um, products that, that are available. We're able to look more closely at what sort of places we'd like to either team up with or stand alone. So 
so the business case is what we're doing now. So I think we needed to get our housekeeping in order before we could actually rush into anything because it's not going to be like the museum my father set up many, many years ago that when you have a change of um, people at the helm, uh, it may disappear. We want to make it so that that museum is better than the board. That museum is better than anyone on the committee. That museum stands for the future of all Western Australians. Absolutely. And so that requires paperwork and we have to make sure and, and we've a lot done of planning. our job properly. A lot of planning. Yes, and, when, and when you look at the new museum in Perth, I mean, that's the way they've gone. Very interactive. Um, makes a lot of good sense when you go through it. And I think that's the, what you need is, is something that connects people to the sport. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you've been to the new, the revamp of the museum at the MCG in Melbourne, that's exactly what they did. They made it more interactive. They What they did was they brought in every single thing that's gone on at the MCG, whether it was the Olympic Games, the Commonwealth Games, a footy match, a soccer match, a baseball match, a, a music festival, they brought it all in and they also made it interactive in part. So if you went in just thinking you were only following cricket, you saw football. Everything is in there. And that's what, to me, a museum is. It's selling Western Australia. It's selling the sport. It's selling the history of people that we know and we love and a lot of ground us grassroots people have been born and bred here and have gone on further and that's what we need to showcase and showcase to the kids coming up in the future that you can start off with having no shoes in the dirt and it doesn't mean that you can't get to the top of the world and play in the World Cup and especially with the Women's World Cup which was one of the saddest things that happened this year that we didn't get the Women's World Cup. What do you mean? Yeah, we did. We, we did. did. Well, not to the fact of all of us all going and celebrating. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, to the bid, you mean? To the venue, yeah. yeah. So oh, I think oh, that the oh, women's oh. movement is good and I hope that next year we actually showcase all our fantastic women and, and people are able to go in and watch them themselves. And I think that's what's been the hardest thing that having... And it would have been very difficult for players to play games without a crowd. Like, it's difficult for people to watch a game without being there to spur on their team. Mm. Yeah. Liz, thanks for joining us. Uh, I know you've probably got uh, another 12 meetings and rallies to attend uh, by sundown, so thank you for squeezing us in. Appreciate that. Well, thank you very much for the good work you've done, Penny, over the years, and I think that it's very important to keep people up to date with local news, local football news, and what's happening in the future, and I think 2021 is going to be exciting because it's given people have given time to 20 to plan better and look at the things that will go on in the future to make us more self-sufficient and at the same time look after our mental health and care and well-being. Yes. So thanks very much and from my house to all of yours, I hope you have a relaxing Christmas and I know 2021 is going to be a fantastic year for sport and all of us. Say so hi, take care. Say hi to your dad for us. I will. See ya. See ya. Bye. That was uh, Elizabeth Ree. What a whirlwind that woman is. Yeah. Far out. Yeah. Okay. Um, I just uh, have to put in a couple of moments too that um, 
uh, some footballing people have passed away this year, and I'm sorry, I've got to add um, Diego to my list there, of course. Um, Ron Moss passed away earlier in mm. the year, uh, an absolute stalwart of the game. Um, the, the southern area of football was his thing. He was encyclopedic about everything and so totally passionate. The whole time that I've known that man, decades and decades, he just put into um, gathering information together, writing books, reports, going to games, networking to people, sharing his love of the sport, sharing the information out there so everybody had information just like he did. And it was a great loss for him to pass on. And I don't know that the whole has been filled. Um, can it be filled by such people? I don't know. Um, mm. Someone please tell me if there's another Ron Moss out there because uh, we'd love to acknowledge them, but he put in a lot of work. So my thoughts are to Ron Moss uh, at this moment and Rod Banjak, who passed on, who was an absolute uh, passionate uh, football man in the Perth area. Uh, Forest Field uh, was the, the big one that uh, comes to mind for me because of all the work that he did there in, in pulling the club together and advancing their cause in the last few years. Um, so, yep, there's my thoughts. And, uh, of course, we'll talk about Diego Maradona. I know, I know we want to um, put that on the table when Derek Pollock has a chat to us a little bit later in the program. Yeah, uh, and, and then Ray Clements, the England-Liverpool yeah. goalkeeper. Yep. Um, yep. Yep, yep, and there's probably a few others too, so feel free to land them on our page or send a text and, and let us know of thoughts for the year. Um, Pete? Yes? Your mm. thoughts for the year? Look, the highlight for me um, was the Asian Champions League, or at least the lead-up. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't qualify for it, and I looked forward to it and got my tickets and got my shirt. Got the shirt, and, yeah. And, yeah, obviously it's wound up turning into a pre-season comp. Um, still very uh, happy with the performance, like... Obviously, I'd rather win. Um, you know, we're, we're sitting on four losses so far, but I've seen the glory play well. Um, if we had been playing rugby and only for 80 minutes, we actually would have come away with a win and a draw in the last two games. So that's something. I'm, I'm like but, the other Australian side. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But having said that, I mean, you, you watch the team play. They've got a very new team, very young exactly, players, new yeah. coach. Yep. Um, Josh Rawlings, youngest player uh, to play in that, in that level of competition yep. and to score a goal. Yep. Um, bodes well for the team. I mean, as you take it from a pre-season concept, um, they're up against much, much better opposition, oh, yeah. opposition oh, yeah. they'd meet in this country. And those young kids are going to develop more in those three games than they would do in a dozen games back home. Absolutely. So it's sort of been a case of, you know, revised opinions. It's gone mm. from, you know, Perth represented against, you know, the rest of Asia, so yeah. to speak, to, well, it's a pre-season comp and a pretty intense one at that. Yeah. And I'm liking what I'm seeing. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm still happy. Yep. I, I think we could transfer this conversation to W League, couldn't mm. we? And more homegrown players playing in the Perth team and in the other W League teams. Is that going to happen, Miranda? Yeah, I think so. And I think um, Alex, the new coach, um, is really excited to work with a lot of the youth players and the local players as well, you see. Um, hopefully some MPL players that haven't previously got an opportunity to step up into the W League will get that opportunity yep. now. And, um, and, and talking to him last week, that was yeah. very much his case. If yeah. you look through his history, that's what he does. Yeah. And he develops young players very, very well. And I think that's a great thing. We talk about the, the, the bad things about COVID. One of the good things is um, that will force people to look inwards and, and to promote yeah. locally and to develop their own talent rather than bring in um, girls from America. I'm not saying they, they shouldn't and they're not no. quality, but we've got to build that quality from within, and mm. that's not the bad thing. Yeah, and I do think it's about finding a balance between 
do bring in that experienced players for the young players to learn off because if it's a group of youth players and just youth players and it's you don't have that person to mentor and learn off um but yeah a good balance between young players who they can nurture through the system mm. and develop and also experienced players that can help them get results but also look internally and build young players up yeah, but the thing is, that there's only one way to get better. No one's got better at football by sat there on a bench watching it. Yeah, you've got to yeah. be out there doing it, and that's the only way you're going to ever get it to the standard. I don't know. Mm. I thought Pete and I got better watching on the bench. Didn't I certainly <laughs> got got really good yeah. at bending the elbow. <laughs> 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 then you get to a point you're not going to get any better, and you pick up a whistle here. That's the thing. <laughs> oh, that's not nice. <laughs> but that's when the eyesight goes as well. Yeah, yeah and, and the hearing. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> No, I think it's, it's good. I think the, the, that pressure is is now showing, and I think with um, the glory, um, for whatever reasons, have gone that way. There's a lot of lads there who were uh, in the NPL set up for glory, but mm. also outside. So, um, you know, there's a couple of players from other clubs have been picked up and taken in, and I think it's great that they're looking around the leagues and not just within the, the, the glory set up mm. and bringing in players and giving them a chance. And I think that without that opportunity, we're not going to develop good players. Yeah, and it does create that link between what is supposedly our um, second division, not really yeah. a second division in yeah. NPL, um, but does create that link for players to develop locally and then step up into the A-League if the coach seems. And the only way... And, and the that. W League. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. W League. Um, the only way that they can do that is for coaches watching these games and that's where the live streams have been so important this year is coaches can look at NPL players and be like, I think you're ready to take the next step. Yep. Uh, on that, mm. um, I reckon one of the things that has really impressed me this year is the rise of esports and the uptake of mm. people playing online. Yep. I reckon that somehow our game needs to get on board with how they can sponsor it, endorse it or whatever because there's just going to be so much money involved in it somehow. Mm. They, we've got to capture it. Well, they did have that uh, E-League. F- FIFA E-League where mm. yeah. uh, you, and they had the A-League uh, component to that where you had... You had to have an A-League player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. No, you had to have two. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Two, yeah. You had to have one Xbox and one PlayStation. That's right. And, yeah, we... I mean, Glory have had two for the last three, four years. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's it's going well. And it, it's, it's quite huge in uh, in Europe as well. They have the massive. Europe, yeah. The Absolutely massive. European Champions League. Yeah. So we are going to welcome Tony Sage, the owner of Perth Glory, to the line. Good morning, Tony. Where are you calling us or where are we speaking to you from? Well, up north, uh, one of our uh, new mine sites that we just uh, purchased. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, very, very hot and t- hot up here. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea you were bran- branching into diamonds, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, 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 same old iron ore. Yeah, it's going well. China's yeah. buying a lot. <laughs> this is our last show for the year, Tony, and we're asking all of our guests what their moments of 2020 is or highs and lows. Go for it. Oh look, uh, definitely the uh, the lows is uh, when uh, uh, obviously COVID hit, ruined our season. Um, so you know the the big low though was uh, the disagreement between the club and our captain uh, Castro. Uh, uh, but all resolved now. Once the two protagonists have left the club, uh, uh, Diego's decided to come back. So that was definitely a low. I mean, uh, my relationship with Diego has been fantastic for five years and. For him to refuse to go to the um, hub was the definite low for the club uh, mm. during the year. Uh, and the high, look, um, I suppose starting the Champions League again, I was so proud of the boys. We'll probably go into it a bit later in the two games they've played, given that we've got five or six academy players in there. Yeah. 
uh, against some of the best teams uh, in the world, especially the Korean team that we uh, played. So for uh, 87 minutes in two games, we held them goalless. So I thought that was a fantastic effort from a bunch of kids. Oh, look, I, it's one of the most pleasing things for me. Is eight of those those lads are Perth-born boys. They're all coming up through the system, whether it's yours or others. Um, you yep. know, eight debutants throughout this. Uh, you've got a, a young West Australian coach. Um, you know, it's looking up, and we we've always said that you know we wanted a, a local flavour in the team, and we'd always wanted to see the local youth coming through. And you know, you tick both boxes. The results for me are, are, are not the important part. It's watching these teams grow. Yeah, look, look. I mean, uh, j- just fantastic. Those kids are just, you know, not not fully fit. I mean, it's uh, out of our season. You got to remember the uh, the um, other Asian Champions League clubs are uh, just about finished their season, so they're fully fit. Uh, and um, you could tell the panic in their eyes, bringing on their Brazilian star yeah, both yeah, games yeah, exactly. at the end to win it. So. You know, we did really, really make a mark and um, it all goes well for the future and I hopefully uh, those lads uh, will get invaluable experience. I mean, in the end, if you heard the commentary, I think four out of the last six goals against us came in the last five minutes. So they'll learn a lot from that that, uh, experience. Definitely. What have we got to look forward to in the W League space this year? Um, It's just hopped on board really late. Um, and we're all hoping that we're going to have uh, a Sam Kerr jump out of the woodwork, um, and lots of them would be fantastic, actually, um, that will be playing at um, the stadium where the A-League team plays, that there'll be lots of crowds. Give us a little bit of a a picture of what it might look like this season, Tony. Look, uh, you know me, I'm brutally honest, Um, sometimes to my detriment, but um, (laughs) up until three weeks ago, we thought... um, with the FFA finances, etc., the W League wouldn't go ahead. Mm. Um, uh, the owners were preparing for that uh, uh, possibility uh, because, again, we don't own anything at the moment. Uh, from the 1st of January, we will, but everything was set this year by the FFA. And seriously, it was looking bad. Um, the uh, situation in Victoria uh, and New South Wales three or four weeks ago was looking pretty bleak, and the, the whole thing was going to be cancelled. I think the NYL got cancelled. I don't think there'll be an NYL competition this year for that reason. They had to make that call early. But we were very, very worried. But we're so pleased uh, that uh, things turned around very quickly in Victoria and New South Wales. Uh, Unfortunately, um, there may be some hub situations. And as you probably know, um, know, the girls are uh, 75% uh, got jobs or at school. Uh, How we're going to manage that is going to be a difficult situation for, for the club and for the girls. But, um, you know, we're fantastic that we've uh, uh, managed to get the season going. Uh, we've got a very good coach um, who came from a uh, very good pedigree in the W League and women's game. And uh, he's looking forward to getting out of quarantine, mm-hmm. <laughs> coming from Sydney and uh, starting the, the full recruitment. Uh, I think training, uh, uh, minor training has started uh, and we'll go into full mode next week. But we still haven't got a draw. No, no, no. We've we've got young Miranda Ten- Templeman in the studio here, so she's been part of the Junior Matildas set up and then uh, identified in the camp just recently with Tash Rigby. So um, we've we're trying really hard to hold on to Miranda <laughs> here until she becomes a Matilda, but um, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> 
Um, uh, how are we looking for, um, you know, the, the Sam Kerr factor has been absolutely incredible for publicity and um, well, p- for Perth Glory. How are we looking for a- attracting someone from somewhere for that or are we going to be based on it's a grassroots uh, kind of with, from within Australia squad that we're going to be looking for for the Glory yeah, for this season? Yeah, this year for, sh- for sure. I mean, we've got a couple of girls that played for us over the last couple of seasons wants to come back, but uh, this coach uh, definitely has homegrown t- uh, talent. I think what you saw Bobby do last year, didn't have a great start, but the girls came home with a flurry after playing with each other for, for a, uh, a period of time. So uh, um, he's going to continue with that. So hopefully uh, Miranda and a lot of other young girls in uh, Western Australia want to uh, be part of our W League squad going forward. Um, and uh, I think we'll be uh, looking at next year and the year after as us uh, going for titles again. Uh, this year is going to be an experimental year, uh, especially with uh, the remnants of COVID. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with um, camps and et cetera, et cetera. So, but, um, you know, it's it's going to be a strong uh, thing for us, and you know my passion for the W League. We got, what, three grand finals in five years. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. didn't win one. Mm. Um, and uh, we, we spent a lot of money earlier than most other clubs on the W League because it's a passion of my daughters who uh, who uh, pushing me and pushing me, and uh, we did it. And, good on uh, them. You know, yeah, so, yeah, good on them. Uh, they weren't good enough to make the squad. Um, uh, but, uh, no, it's it's a very, very important part of, of football, very important part of glory, very important part uh, for the World Cup coming up in 2023 as well. Yeah. And it's not an experimental year, it's a development year. We're taking nah. players, good yeah. good players, with a good coach and making them better. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, mate, you've seen some of the signings already from yep. uh, Victory and um, City, especially City. I mean, City, um, they've got that big squad in England and they can uh, transfer players in and out quite quickly because of the mm. seasons. But to quote um, the Beatles, but, money but, can't buy you love. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, yeah. um, in, uh, Melbourne City, what, eight years, which is Manchester City, really, which yeah, is yeah, yeah, actually yeah. my team <laughs> in the Premier League. Um, you know, eight years before they made a grand final being in the mm. league. So, you know, it's, it is it is tough. Um, but, um, yeah, they've obviously had the best quality, them in Sydney, for the last two or three years in the... Uh, I still, you know, my... my Favourite highlight was when we went to Melbourne Victory, I think it was, uh, two years ago when we uh, were 8-1 uh, to one underdogs and we beat them, I think, 4-2 or 4-3 in mm, yeah. that fantastic game before we got to the final. And the girls were just so exhausted and unfortunately <laughs> yeah. Sydney beat us in that final and yeah. Sam Kerr still regrets that was uh, her third grand final. And uh, I think she'll be back to play another grand final for Glory down the track. Tony, before we let you go, the Women's World Cup is coming up um, in, within a few years and the state uh, home of football is hopefully going to line up with that in being built in the Queen's Park area. How does Perth Glory fit into that? W- will that be their home as well or is there going to be a home for Perth Glory at some point? Uh yeah, look, uh, we needed another 20-odd million from either the state or federal for, to fit us in. Uh, we we have special requirements, obviously. We we need the pitches to be uh, pretty pristine, and uh, Tony Popovich was very, very uh, tough on uh, on that. But, look, it's, it's going to start off small. Um, there's a lot of space there. Uh, we were going to go into Stage 2, which isn't going to be built yet, but we'd still like the uh, W League uh, outfit and maybe the youth uh, NYL to be based there. Uh, our main team, obviously, and the, the rest of the NPL will be based elsewhere at the moment. 
that's mm. the way it's uh, yeah. looking. Okay. Tony, thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time this year and also uh, allowing us to jump into Perth Glory Space with all your guests this year. Really do appreciate that. Um, hope you no stay, stay safe and well over Christmas. Thanks, guys. See Bye-bye. Thanks, Thanks Tony. That was the owner of Perth Glory, Tony Sage, and we are going to go to a quick break, recognise some partners, and we'll be back after that. This is the entire team in the studio. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. West Coast Futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages. With four great locations around Perth, we have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week. From social men's, women's or mixed games to A-grade competition, we've got you covered. Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. So grab five mates and come down for a game today. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Oswest Fencing and Rotiron. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The Oswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colour bond, aluminium, steel and timber gates. Check out our galleries at oswestfencing.com.au That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au All right, and that's us back in the room. Oh, that's a bit echoey. What's going on there? What? I didn't do it. Yeah, yes, you did. <laughs> well, yeah, I did. All right. <laughs> well, whilst we're all echoey and horrible, um, one person who's never echoey, never horrible, and is the voice of Australian football is Simon Hill, who joins us this morning. Simon, good morning. That's a matter of opinion. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you'll always be the voice of Australian football for me, uh, Simon. That's the way it is. Deal with it. <laughs> um, we're just going through highs and lows of the year for around the team. Um, what's been your high point of this season and your low point of this season? Well, that's a good question. Um, blimey. A year that's been riddled by COVID. Um, I would say from a, a personal point of view in terms of football fandom, my team went in the League Cup, which seems it seems about 25 years ago. Yes. <laughs> what's happened in the interim? Uh, that was the early part of the year, so that was yeah, that was probably the high point of a a year that's that's not had too many. Um, I guess from a domestic point of view, managing to get the A League season finished um, and keeping the league alive for another 12 months. Um, I know that sounds a bit uh, a bit miserable to say it's a highlight, but. You know, in, in the current circumstances that we're all affected by, I actually think it's quite an achievement. So, Very much an achievement, yeah. yes. It's not a year that will go down in, in memory in a positive way for many people, <laughs> I don't think. No, and the competition for the, the most negative point of the season would be an immense battle, but which, which do you think has been the, the absolute low light of the year? 
Blimey, the low light of the year. Um, that has to be football stopping, surely. Like, it just not having yeah. what we're used to. Uh, I, I think, no, but you say football stopped. It never stopped. There was always football across the planet, whether it was... Um, E-football. I mean, we all, we all gained a Belarusian team. We all gained a Bundesliga team. Football itself never actually stopped across the planet at any point. Mm. And I think that's, that's one of the real good hopeful things that we did have. Football can survive anything. Mm. That's true. I think what I would say in terms of the downside is that with that return of football, which is great, uh, and obviously you know we're we're able to watch football on a more regular basis now. But the lack of crowds, mm. um, it's made it different for me. I, I, it's very difficult to to watch football. I find without crowds. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wrote an article this week for the Alley website, and my opening quote was, I think it was from Jock Steen. He said, football without fans is nothing. And he was right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you play for the crowd. You play for that excitement that the crowd uh, uh, gives you and and the buzz. uh, It's an emotional game. Yeah, you know, and without them, Mm. it it feels like a training exercise. So, you know, the sooner we get them back, the better. But obviously, we all understand the reasons why, and it's the right thing to do. And with that in mind, uh, Simon... How, how have you found uh, the the commentary with the um, with the piped in noise? I mean, I was watching the Copa Sudamerica during <coughs> the week, and you know, there's a, a shot that just misses, and 30 seconds later, there's the woo through the through the loudspeakers. I mean, it, it's so annoying. I, I, I beg you, for, I can barely hear you. It sounds as though you're in about three rooms away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they don't let me out that often. No, you're saying about the, the piped commentary, how, you know, you get a shot on goal and then 30 seconds later the woo goes through oh, the crowd. and Sorry, it, the crowd noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I tend to watch it with the, with the crowd noise off, but... Yeah, look, at, I mean, I think the crowd noise, it certainly helps from a commentary point of view because it gives you, you know, some sort of a backdrop. Uh, otherwise, you are literally just commentating on what feels like a training session. Mm. So certainly from a commentary point of view, I, I think it helps. Um, you know, whether people are fooled by it or not. I think they pipe it into the stadiums as well. I'd, I'd like to think it helps the players because they respond to crowds as well. Um, so I think it's, again, it's, a, it's about making the best of a, a pretty ordinary situation. But, uh, you know, I, th- I think they're saying in the Premier League they're going to allow limited crowds in um, from December the 5th. I don't know whether that's the wisest thing to do given the situation with COVID in the UK, but mm. um, I think you know any sort of a crowd really helps the players. But going forward, where, where do you see us going as a game? I mean, the, the COVID is, if there's the, the vaccine they're coming up with is effective, then okay, that, that works. If COVID isn't affected by the vaccine, it becomes part of that background noise. How do we normalise this? Well, uh, I don't know whether you can fully. Um, obviously, a, a lot of our hopes are resting on that on that vaccine. Um, what I hope doesn't happen, um, and we've seen these discussions over the last couple of months, is that the bigger clubs around the world use it to their advantage and try and leverage this European Super League because uh, you know the clubs further down the pyramid are struggling for cash, and that's you know that's what happened in the UK where mm. they essentially tried to bribe their way to a Super League and said, look, we'll give you 250 million quid, which will keep you alive. Uh, you know, the, 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 the kickback from that is, uh, you know, we, we go off and form a European Super League. Well, no, sorry, but that doesn't wash. Uh, you know, football is not just all about the elite level, even though a lot of us are elite level teams. It's got to be about the whole of game. And, uh, you know, I hope that is not an unwanted byproduct of COVID.
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you look at teams like um, Southend United that Mark Milligan played for. They've been skirting around bankruptcy for 20-odd <laughs> yep. years. Mm-hmm. And, and I think teams like them, and there's been so many others, and Wigan have been affected. There's, you know, the, Bolton. Lo- and Bolton, yeah. Losing, losing those lower league clubs is, is a tragedy, really. Yeah, it is. It, it, you know, particularly in the UK or, or in England, that's the essence of football, the fact that we had 92 professional football clubs, probably a few more, actually, if you include the ones that are fully pro in the, in the national leagues. Yeah. Um, and that, that whole cultural aspect of football is, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of us fell in love with it, myself included. And if it's just going to be about, you know, the Man United's, Man City's, Arsenal's, Liverpool's, okay, you know, we all know lots of people watch them, particularly globally, but th- there's got to be a richer tapestry to the game than just the elite level. Otherwise, you know, we may as well all just pack in and just watch the big clubs. And I don't think it's just about that, or it shouldn't be anyway. Mm. So what's on, on the horizon for Simon Hill in 2021? <laughs> uh, good question. I don't know, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I've got a few things sort of bobbling along. Um, I, c- I can't sort of reveal it yet because yeah. it hasn't actually happened. But there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of possibilities. Um, you know, obviously this is a difficult time, not just for me, but... Uh, for a lot of people involved in the media because the media is in a, a huge state of flux and COVID has exacerbated that as well. <clears throat> um, you know, in June next year, the Fox Sports deal will end. Um, whether they will renew or whether it will go elsewhere or whether the FFA and the clubs will set up their own uh, OTT broadcast platform, I think is, is all, you know, very much up in the air. If that is the case, I would hope to be involved in it. Um, if not, then I don't know. Maybe I'll have to do something else. You know, it's possible I could return to the UK. Uh, I was very close to doing that a few weeks ago until the uh, the COVID spike erupted again uh, back in England. So I've sort of delayed that for the time being. But uh, yeah, I'm sort of, you know, I'm at a point where I'm, I don't know what's going to happen. In some ways that's worrying and, and frightening, but in other ways, it's exciting and a challenge um, because it's, it's a blank page, basically, and I'm not tied to anybody. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be an interesting 12 months. You might even put the boots on and play in goal again, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, not at my age. I, I did try and come back playing a few weeks ago and tore my hamstring. So <laughs> no, 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 I snapped an Achilles. I don't know exactly what you're going through. It's not nice when you get older. Um, Simon, it's been great been able to call you throughout the year we always enjoy your opinions on football i know you're never short of one and i could probably <laughs> chat all day to you about football and still not run out of subjects but um by the way tom simone just called sorry about the phone call, <laughs> everyone, and he said make sure you give simon hill a tough time so i don't think we actually did that but he's just passing on his sentence well that's to difficult you. tommy i saw him last week at the football writers festival here in sydney so uh yeah, he's, no, he's never short of one of those little barbs. Good on you, Tommy. No, he's never short of a word, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, look, and, and whatever you do, I, I wish you all the best next year. Um, it's been great having you on. All the best to you and your family. Thank you. You too. And all your listeners. Cheers. Th- thanks, Simon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic having Simon as a part of the show, and it's... Um, it's a shame that he's considering going back to England because mm. that means we'll, he'll be lost to the airwaves mm. here, yeah. to local football, A-League. But not lost to football. I mean, no. you, he'd been commentating on a lot of games across the world during the COVID. And, you know, you can tell the man's quality and he's not going to be out of a job very long and someone somewhere will pick him up. Yeah. Yep. And, we'll, and we'll listen. Yeah.
Yep, we will. Yeah, unless Tommy Dolman's got his job. (laughs) 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 Um, So just uh, Peter Wright has given us his thoughts of 2020. Uh, Sam Kerr's first WSL goal for Chelsea, Mm -hmm. closely followed by Everton, featuring Hayley Russo, defeating Chelsea in the Women's FA Cup semi-final about six weeks ago. Or maybe Kaya Simon keeping possession, shielding the ball to set up Emily Van Egmond in the draw with China that allowed us to top table in the Olympic qualifiers. Um, things like securing the new Matildas coach and winning the hosting rights to the 2023 <coughs> Women's World Cup. They they certainly do count, Pete. Good job. Yeah, and definitely just saying um, on the new Matildas coach, she was um, involved in the camp that we had last, um, last week, although, you know, not able to be here in person. We had... Um, uh, video calls with our workshops that we did in the evening um, and we had Tony on the line and all the European based Matildas as well so I think that was a real highlight of the camp is um, bridging the national team players in the current squad with players that are aspiring to be in that squad so it does if you have you know injuries or um, and players do need to step in it's a lot easier of a process and I think that was the real purpose behind this camp, and it was really good. Mm. Just before we go to Greg, like, yeah. I've noticed that since you've been in the studio with us, we've talked more women's football, which is fantastic. <laughs> but um, it highlights the fact that women's football and the Matildas, young Matildas, and the programs have moved into a space that we seem to talk about more often than the young Socceroos, Joeys, mm. um, and the Socceroos. Full stop. Like, is that because you guys like feel dominated by us women talking in the studio? <laughs> <or>? <laughs> No, I, I, nothing's no. happening or what? I, I think the the Matildas effect oh, is the is what's doing it. I mean, the Matildas are the, the the side when people think about Australian football, it's like America. the The women's side is the is the premier side yep. when you look at it. You've got Sam Kerr, who again has been nominated to be the best player in the world mm. for the what the third time. If you know, and not not one single male player has been ever nominated in the top ten players in the world from Australia, mm. and yet she's done it multiple times. And the press again, meh. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I just don't get it. But um, mm. one of the people that was very very highly affected by by COVID um, is our next guest, Greg Farrell, who remained in business. Um, throughout the whole thing remained the sponsor of the side and we really uh, the radio station rather and i really do appreciate um your efforts there greg good morning how are you i'm good how is everyone marvelous good yeah, we're well. all very good all very festive wearing our christmas hats yeah. and reindeer ears and everything else that yeah. makes it look christmasy yes and silly yeah <laughs> well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lovely day outside so i hope those when, they, when you get outside, those Christmas hats come off. Yes. Uh, yeah. It would make it a little bit warm. We're going out for our usual Christmas lunch, so I'm sure they'll be taken off when we go into the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, Greg, your, your low light for the season must have been your, your business having to close down completely through COVID. Um, there wouldn't have been anything much worse than that for you all year, would there? Uh, no, that that definitely was a, a difficult period of time. Um, like the... One of the, the biggest things that I guess we've all become accustomed to is, is essentially being able to do what we want within within reason um, in our lives and to have sort of a whole bunch of it ripped away. Like I, I hurt my knee a few years ago and it meant I was never going to play again. Um, and that was a, a very difficult thing to adjust to, but there was still football going on. I was still watching it. Um, futsal was was always happening then for three months to just have sort of everything around the world pretty much stop Mm. um 
it was a huge impact here for us, obviously, but we were very, very lucky with our location and, and how quickly we were able to get things back under control and how well the government, especially the, the state government, did here with everything. Um, so, yeah, it was a tough period, but I think we have to really sort of count our lucky stars that we got through things quite quickly and we've been able to rebound pretty well. Yeah. And and there that's are a people, qu- much, people much worse off than us. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think yeah. Now we've got back in. You you're back up and and running, and everything's humming as it always did. Super League is going well. Um, so, how how is the state of futsal in this state? Yeah, it's it's going very well. Like the the social competitions are are picking back up. Um, I think there is still a little bit of a hangover from COVID with people not wanting to commit to certain things or, or not wanting to commit more than what they um, sort of already are where in the past people maybe played two or three social sports in the summer um, now they're possibly only playing one so there is a little bit of that happening with the social side but even the, the Super League competitions have continued to grow and expand we've got more than more than 50 teams across the, the divisions um, where a few years ago we only had sort of 15 um, so it, it it's definitely getting bigger and the, the level of the games itself is still improving all the time. Um, and I think the, the elite side of things, certainly, there was more of a, a passion and a hunger to get back into playing when we'd been un, un, unable to play for sort of three or four months. Everyone was raring to go. So mm. that's continued to grow and um, it's been great that the I think there's a little bit of a, an emphasis now from female football players to, to try and play all year round because there's more more girls competitions, more girls trying to play all year round, trying to play futsal. Um, Miranda would be able to tell you how much benefit it is and how enjoyable it is from from her time playing. Um, but you, I think the, the 2023 World Cup has been uh, a shot in the arm, which has been really good. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know any player is looking for any possible way that they can improve their own game and futsal is a part of that and you see that um, even in professional teams over the um, in Europe they get a lot of their players to play futsal as it you know it improves your ability to work in tight spaces and move at fast paces um, so yeah really good for any player that's looking to and, and from themselves. a goalkeeping perspective though I mean, it's a little smaller ball it's traveling a lot quicker yeah I mean when I was playing futsal I spent half my time on the pitch and half my time in goals and um, on the pitch it was really good for my footwork and my foot skills um, and in goals it really gets your decision making going for 1v1s because everything is going at that faster pace you have to make yourself big and the blocking it improves that technique so because it happens a lot more than it would in an outdoor game in an outdoor game you might touch the ball like seven times but yeah. in a futsal game you're always constantly involved and mm. yeah and and the positioning because you i mean the game switches from left to right so quickly yeah um you got to whilst you're lining up to block out on the left you've then got to be ready for it to switch to the right yeah and i think um as well as that it also um improves your organizational skills because there's only four players on the pitch it's your responsibility you can see where everyone is it's your responsibility <coughs> to be commanding them and telling them where they're rotating and stuff like that so yeah yeah very good for my one of the one of the other big things and i i sort of started saying this probably 10 or 15 years ago was that the the techniques for futsal are still useful for outdoor goalkeepers Mm. and you see 
the saves that people like Manuel Neuer and David De Gea make, and even now more Premier League goalkeepers and goalkeeper coaches are working on futsal techniques. And I know um, Paul Jones, who was the, the Matildas goalkeeper mm-hmm. coach, started doing a lot of work on futsal techniques with um, Lydia Williams, with Mackenzie Arnold, mm-hmm. one of my former goalkeepers, uh, Katie Dale, used to train with them in Brisbane and um, with the, the Raw. And she said that they're doing all of the, the techniques that I'd taught her three or four years before <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, so she was actually being used as an example for Lydia and Mackenzie because she already knew how to do it. Mm. Yeah, no, I think it, it, it's fantastic. And I think, you know, any way we can play the game, um, it, it can all relates back to the on-field game. Even Sabutio teaches you how to position players and where they should be on the park. Thank no, you. No, but, no, but Thank you. <clears throat> but coaches use the Sabutio to, to show players where they should be on the pitch and, and how it all works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, become yeah more and more of a tool. I mean, we saw the uh, the young England team when they won in India that they were going through te- tactics on the Subidio table. Yeah, absolutely, and it works in three D. So yeah, that's why it's so good. Um, now, your family's from Queensland. You're planning to go back? Sorry, what was that? Your your family are from Queensland. You're planning to go back for Christmas? Yeah, uh, my fiance Annie and I are heading back over for for Christmas. Um, just for, for a week, uh, just be nice. I've got a, a an 18-month-old niece who I haven't seen since she was a few days old, so that will be a, a nice few days. And Annie's got a couple of nieces and a little nephew who we haven't met, so I'm uh, looking forward to that too. Absolutely, you would be. Um, look, really appreciate you being involved with the, the program um, and long may that continue. Um, we love pushing what futsal means to everybody around this table and uh, all the tables out there. So um, <laughs> keep going, mate. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate yeah, your time. Thank you very much, guys. Really appreciate your support and most definitely we hope the, the World Football Program... Well, and I, I saw, saw there was some online talk about extending the show a little bit longer into the the summer. Uh, if, if that was to be the case, that would certainly be appreciated as well. You're planning to train up as a host then, Greg? No problems. Uh, you can start next week. <laughs> well, as, 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 long, as long as it's radio and people don't have to see my face, that's, that's okay. But I think, I think this is what they call a face for radio. So. <laughs> good one, Greg. No worries, Greg. Take care, mate. Have a good Christmas. Thank see you very ya. much. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Bye. All right, that was Greg Farrell. Um, yeah. Top bloke. He is. Good bloke. Um, yeah, you've got to have um, good talkers that come on radio. Like, you've just got to fill all the spaces, right? Like okay. we all do. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it goes. Um, we are going to include Tom Samani on the um, guest list at some point, but coming up next is um, Chris Nikau, who's the... Um, oh, really? Okay, yeah. fine. So uh, Derek Pollock is coming up next. Uh, I don't know if he knows it, but there you go. He does. He does. Excellent. So Sean's on to it. Good job. So around uh, the table here, who hasn't given us their highs and lows of 2020 yet? I think we all have. I think we all have. Good. Yeah. Excellent. Um, Anyone did, jumped did online? Yeah, I don't think you have. Uh, well, m- my high was, there's a lot of them, um, was seeing the soccer system reset itself. So everything that affected us meant that we all had to have a rethink about how we conduct football and I mean, like, financially, it was a bit of a reset. I mean, we, we stopped playing at some point and then we had to start Very again. Kind, and, like, we all had to think about what it meant to us. 
Um, we were reserved as families. Financially, we had to have a think about it. And then we had to go out and we had to talk to our players and our teammates in different ways to conduct the sport. And that I don't know if that's a high or a low, but it was just a different this year. And it made me very happy as a coach to actually come back with a, a, a group of kids that their parents had said it's okay to go back in this environment and play football. It was it was a very happy time. So, you know, I, I felt very passionate about wanting to put my best into football because everybody had put their faith in the system that our government had created that protected us all to go back to football in this crazy year. So, that's I, I feel very blessed about this year being able to do things that felt very normal, mm. and and I was very passionate about them. Absolutely, a, and, and, and someone who's very passionate about football is one of our team that's at home at the moment in Derek Pollock, and Derek joins us this morning. Derek, good morning. Morning, team. How are you guys? Good. Um, we've been asking all the, the team what's their, their high and low point of the season. So uh, you want to start with one of those two? Hmm. Uh, similar, mine's similar to Penny's. Uh, you know, a, a month or so into, into pre-season, we were staring down the barrel of maybe not having any sport whatsoever this season. And so the ability to, um, yeah, to get over that and then get a, somewhat of a pre-season and then get an actual season in 16 games... Uh, and establish women's football at um, a new club is yeah definitely been my my highlight of the season. Absolutely, no, it's a good one. So um, we did talk a bit earlier about some of the people that have passed uh, passed on in football: um, Diego Maradona, Rod Banjak, Ron Moss, and Ray Clements. Ray Clements, and there was another guy as well. Another one of the England '66 squad died. Yes, they're all falling away. Nobby Styles, Nobby Styles, yeah. Yep, there you go. So it's um, yeah, it's been a yeah, full of you know, highs and lows, really. I mean, there, there has been some highs because, look, if you talk to Miranda and myself, winning the Women's World Cup bid was yeah. absolutely mm. fantastic. Huge. Yeah, it was, it's massive. And, you know, we maybe haven't celebrated it like Liz Elizabeth Ree said um, that we we couldn't all get together in a massive, mm. you know, populace to, to do it. But it, it's good because going ahead, it means that we need to create facilities and environments and branding and profile that it, you know, for an amazing event that's going to come here. It's one of the biggest sporting events in the world, I think. Is it number one still? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, there's... The Just el- on, on that note, Penny, yeah. as well, a lot of other clubs that traditionally haven't had a lot to do with women's football uh, um, have seen that winning the World Cup and going, right, let's create some internal infrastructure now yes. yeah. um, to, to, for, for, for young girls' football in order to take advantage of, of the women's football when it comes to Australia. So that's definitely been a positive. Yeah, yeah, and for um, <laughs> players, I think it's just such an exciting prospect. Um, I was talking to uh, Lisa Devanna before and she said, I'd be living on the streets of Sydney if it meant I could play a home, <laughs> a home <laughs> World Cup. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the attitude of any player who's um, ambitious Name-dropper. Yeah, Yeah, and look, with Lisa, I I feel very akin to Lisa and the path that she's travelled to play sport and uh, at the level that she has. uh, She's played over numerous decades, so she knows that she's... She's one of the few that has had to work really hard for not as much as some of the younger players coming through at that mm. level now have. They have opportunities. That they don't pay as they play at that level. They are given the airfares to travel to and from and so yeah. forth. But Lisa worked in the garage to earn her trip and all that kind of thing. And, uh, and I, I, I feel that she's you know, an ambassador kind of... Get her back on the program, Miranda, so we can have a chat to her. <laughs> no, but it was, you know, she's very inspiring. And you do see that um, reflected in her personality. You can see how hard she's worked for what she has. And, yeah, really great to work with her. Yes, I'd like to see her in something like the 
Perth Glory set up working alongside the new coach mm. uh, as an inspiring player and it might not uh, be to um, give great coaching skills it might just be to join in and to um, give a, a few little tips to the players but to you know have someone like that um, is is inspiring just mm. to and you got to talk those players up forever because they've yeah. had a good involvement for a long time they should be part of the legacy going forward as well yeah and she was involved a bit with um the ntc side while she was over in perth and um acting in that mentor role and yeah it just brought a new level of professionalism to us and kind of set the standard of what we should be aspiring to if we want to take the next step as young players yep so derek for yourself involved in football here you're at sterling lines now right Correct. Yep, and what's that bring uh, for you in 2021? Um, further evolution of women's football um, at Sterling Lane. So it's you know it's traditionally been one of the most storied clubs in Perth, but has never really had women's football before. So um, yeah, we, we we established that last year. Had a pretty successful year given um, all the coronavirus-related problems, um, and so. Yeah, going forward in 2021, um, well, we're hopefully going to have a women's night series for state league, and then. Um, continue to establish the Women's State League team at, at Sterling Lions and hopefully add a second team to that mix and, and some juniors. Really good. Good. Excellent. It's good to hear the, the support of the club behind what you're saying. Now, going back to your other love, which is the Premier League, um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer still there. You tipped him to go. What, another week? Yeah, look, he's, he's defying, uh, defying expectations at this point. Um, there's not many managers in the world that you would say, I've got more confidence in him beating PSG away than, Bur- than Burnley at home. Or, <laughs> but, you know, he is one of those managers. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm wondering how long they're going to leave Pochettino sitting on the sideline before, um, and then let him get tapped up with someone else. I thought there might have been a potential Pochettino for, for Guardiola eventually, but it looks like Guardiola's staying a little bit longer. Yes, he certainly is. Um, and your, your take on the league so far in the lead-up to Christmas, the the potential winners still Liverpool? Yeah, look, I, th- I think um, the way they managed to defy all expectations so frequently, whenever they've got players out, they just managed to somehow get through. I mean, it was look, looking like a pretty big banana skin on the weekend, having, you know, calling up an entire youth team for defence um, against Jamie Vardy and Harrison Barnes and James Madison, but still managed to beat them 3-0. Yeah, yeah no, it's outstanding work, and it just shows what Klopp is as, as a manager. Um, the other teams that are in the hunt, Chelsea, uh, Man City, um, don't seem to be having the, the same level of success, even with um, nearly full squads. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, although Chelsea, to be fair, um, their their problem, for, you know, since Frank Lampard has been there, has been defending a counter attack. But they've managed uh, to figure that one out in recent weeks. Will the biggest test for how well they've managed to figure it out will probably come this weekend against Tottenham, when you've got, you know, one of the, the best counter attacking managers on the planet um, going up against them. Uh, a man who just Joe them, you know, thrives on parking the bus, getting everyone behind the ball, and then just. Um, yeah, hitting them quickly. You know, the, the, the anti-Guardiola, as he's been since 2008 when he when he lost to Guardiola in um, the race to get the Barcelona job. He seems like a man reborn at Tottenham, though. Say that again, sorry? He's, he's like a man reborn at Tottenham. He's, he's become the, the special one once again. Yeah, Tottenham have been phenomenal this season and Harry Kane's ability to not only continue his goal-scoring feats but also change his role to more of a creator while still scoring the goals has just been revolutionary, really. And you'd be hard-pressed to find 
and this is coming from someone who hasn't traditionally liked Harry Kane at all, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who's an attacker in the world that's much better than, than Harry Kane at the moment. The first... And Son, as his partner, has just been, yeah, uh, just look, phenomenal. Son is phenomenal. Um, but I just think it's quite amusing to watch someone like Kane say, I was marked out of the game as a tactical ploy so that the others could score. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, it's, I mean, Mourinho has shown, when he came in last season, I was pretty sceptical. Um, and then I was more sceptical when his tactic just seemed to be get Alderweireld to pump along to Kane every single time. And then when Kane got injured and was replaced by sort of the five-foot-nothing Lucas Moura and the plan kept kept going on, Alderweire will just pump it along to the striker, I don't care if he's the shortest player of the field, um, but that he's really changed his game this season, and he's actually employing some genuine tactics this season, Mourinho, which has been <laughs> yeah, pretty pleasing to see. So, the the most important position in the league in the Christmas break is always the team at the bottom. It's very rare for a team at the bottom of the league to uh, lift themselves from that point. Um, who do you see I being... I think Hugh will recall a certain yeah, team that yeah, wasn't well managed to able to do it. Yeah, 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 the great escape. That was great. Yeah, well, I remember a team that did it as well, but yeah. Oh, we, we were bottom on the final day. Yeah. <laughs> Should have stayed there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's not nice. <laughs> so, uh, Derek, you still got us as one of the favourites to go down? Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> come on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> At least you had to West, think that West time. Has, <laughs> West Ham has managed to sort of show some, some level of, uh, of performance this season, though. And, I mean, I did tip Sheffield United to have a bit of a plummet from their last season's form. I didn't quite expect it to be this stark. But, no. um, but wow. You know, I guess at the end of the day, though, often reflection, hindsight's twenty twenty. but when you only score, I think it was 37 goals in the entire season last year and you managed to finish seven, seventh, that was really never going to be sustainable. No, it wasn't. And, um, yeah, I think the, the wheels have fallen off spectacularly. I still think they're the favourites to go down. And, uh, yeah, the others, there's several candidates and... Yeah, no, we, I reckon we're still pretty good. I mean, that that performance we put in against United, if it wasn't for a uh, dodgy penalty not given for us and a dodgy penalty given to them and or have another shot, I mean, they could have still been having that uh, shot if you kept missing it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Derek, look, thank you for being on throughout the season. Um, you've been a great contri- contributor over the, the last season for the uh, the Premier League and also your, your bits and pieces about um, Sterling and, and women's football in general. So I appreciate your involvement and hopefully you're back a bigger and better next year. Good one, Derek. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for having me on the season, guys. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank Good you. on you. Thanks, See ya. Derek. All right, whilst we had Derek on there, WNPL, Pam, what's your take on the WNPL this year? Uh, are you talking about the women's or the men's? Women's WNPL. Yeah. Well, that's not what the W means. Yeah, well, I, I, I thought you were good at this stuff. I thought. I wasn't sure where it was going. Sure, West Australian. Uh, yeah, I've been very happy with the NPLW and the way that it's kicked in. Uh, I've been very happy with the branding of it. That the live streaming part has been absolutely phenomenal. Mm. The figures have shown that um, the, the numbers have been better than some of the NPL streams for the men. Um, so the profiling has been great. It's meant that we can share information across boundaries and states, which leading into the W League hopefully is going to mean that there'll be players cross over. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But it's a start. Um, in terms of the quality, quality has been great. Mm. Um, coaching has been terrific. Um, you've had teams like Perth who um, 
who came in without any background of a yeah. high-end team, who did really well. They like increasingly did better through the season to finish in the top two position, uh, played great football, had a great coach in Daniel Brogan. Mm. Uh, Mum FC did fantastic in the transition of uh, Queen's Park moving out of the league and then into the Mum FC space with uh, Pete Rakic coaching, did a great job. Um, you'll get players from those teams will hop into the W League, um, Kat Yukich and um, a whole stack of others. I'm yeah. sure and, and talking of Kate, yeah. the, that uh, Rabona goal, I mean, yeah, it just, yeah. just went viral. And I think, you know, yeah, fantastic. So, yeah. look, it's you know, we talked about women's football a lot this year. Yeah. And look, Football West and FFA or FA now have done a great job in branding it because of obvious reasons yeah. and because it's such a great growth area for football mm. and and someone who's passionate about women's football would be very buoyed to hear that uh, we get such a mention here in this state is our next guest tom samani good morning how are you good morning or good afternoon from the eastern states hi tom how are you going i'm good penny how are you doing uh absolutely awesome and uh, simon hill says hello back at you <laughs> 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 um, we're, this show today is specific, specifically to talk about um, highs and lows and moments of 2020. So uh, we've all shared ours. What do you think um, has been the highs and lows of football this year? Well, it's just I think the low has been no football for six months. <laughs> that's that's been the low, I think, um, and and obviously the Olympics been uh, postponed. And amongst that, I think uh, that's. From from my perspective, in in relation to the the international game, I think that's been the the big role for 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 me. Um, I think the high has probably been you know looking at a, a women's football perspective. I think the high has been the the number of Australian players who have uh, gone to high level clubs in in the particularly the WSL in England and um, and how that's. You know, again, further raise the profile of the Matildas, which in turn raise the, raises the, the profile of the, the game in Australia. I think one thing that raises the uh, profile uh, of women's football in Australia ex- exclusively has been the Sam Kerr factor. There's n- no other thing that anyone can talk about in women's football that comes to mind first except for Sam Kerr. Yeah. Sam Kerr, Chelsea, Sam Kerr, Matilda, Sam Kerr backflip on the um, Sydney the Opera, Opera House. House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but, but Caitlin Ford and some of the others are starting to, to yeah. make their own yeah. names yeah. as well on the back of that. And with Ellie Carpenter winning the European yep. Cup. Yep. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and this yeah. is all great to move into the space of what Sepp Blatter said is the greatest growth area of football. We're taking advantage of it eventually, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Sepp taking yeah. advantage of stuff. Really? Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's helpful. Uh, oh, of course, uh, so, um, um, Tom... Of course, I, I did forget the World Cup bid, uh, uh, the successful World Cup bid in amongst that. Uh, Just that small thing that, that put uh, in my head for a second there. That, that's okay. We've been talking about it, Tom, so it's all right. Now, before we uh, let you go, because it's only been a short conversation, um, Wellington Phoenix won't be joining uh, the W League this year. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, disappointed, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I understand some of the, the dynamics around it, and particularly... Uh, the time factor. I think it was, you know, it was going to be a very tight fit to get a team in the league. So the logistics around it. Um, the thing I was disappointed about is um, the that football was used as part of the reasoning and uh, the performance gap, or the you know taking away development opportunities for young Australian players. And you know that's a, a great soundbite, but it's an absolutely flawed argument. So mm, that's yeah. it. Irritated me a little bit, if I'm being honest. 
Mm. Yeah, I suppose uh, one of the arguments that came up was that, well, if we allow Wellington Phoenix to put a team in, then they're going to put their national players in there, then they'll be playing against our Australian players and there'll be foreign players more than the legal limit and so forth like that. So they've been really putting a little bit of, yeah. Yeah, but ru- rules are for the guidance of um, what has been an adherence of fools. So, you know, <laughs> you got to... But, look, it, I get it, but at the same time, you know, the, this is always going to be part of the problem when you've got a team that's from a, another nation playing in a nation's league and it's a, a unique situation. I don't know yeah. of anywhere else where you have uh, or maybe Wales and Scotland playing yeah. in the EPA. Or Monaco in France. Yeah. Mm. Or the Liechtenstein teams playing in Switzerland. It's actually <laughs> a lot more common than you might think. <laughs> yeah, but when you're in Liechtenstein, <laughs> you, can't keep, you, you can't play a game against yourself, can you? And I mean, that's it. There's only, what, two teams in there. The, the grief. Canadian team is playing in the US. So. Yeah. It, it, does, it actually happens more yeah. than you might think. All right, thank you, Einstein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And, and that, that, those are some great examples. And, and you know, if... You know, the interesting argument there about being, bringing in national team players, it's like, what well, be like the Matildas, most of it, the New Zealand national team players are playing overseas, but yeah. we would hope to have a contingent, and some of them certainly in the W League team, yes. because my argument would say, well, what do you want? Do you want a team to come in from New Zealand or anywhere to be a poor team, or do you want it to be a strong team and add to the league? Mm-hmm. And, and if New Zealand bring in a strong team and... I mean, if you look at Melbourne City, Melbourne City have probably got six or seven Matildas in the team. Yep. Is that an unfair advantage to them? Um, so if we have six or seven um, uh, football firms in our team, isn't that better for the development of young Australian players? Mm. Yeah. Well, well, we'll ask uh, Chris Niku next because he's the um, chair of the Football Australia. We'll, we'll put that to him, OK, Tom, on your behalf. Thank you. No, <laughs> he's, a, he's a good guy. He's, Chris is a good guy. So, yeah, don't be frank to Gorilla. Yeah. yeah. Tom, we'll have to let you go. Thank you very much for joining us, sharing your time this Pleasure. year. Have a safe Christmas, and uh, we'll catch up with you again in the new year for sure. Well, and hopefully when the borders are open up to West Australia. That'd be nice. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Come over and have a cuppa and join us in the studio. <laughs> oh, we'll do that. Good on you, Tom. Thank you. Have a great Christmas and new year. Thanks, everybody. See ya. See ya. Ta-da. Bye. That was Tom Samani, who is the New Zealand Football Ferns coach, former Matildas coach, uh, all-around good guy. Loves a chat, can fill the spaces admirably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Now, we spoke to Tom a couple of weeks ago and, and put that question to him about the, um, the Ferns <laughs> filling the, um, the Phoenix side. Yeah. And as he pointed out, a, a lot of those Ferns players are playing internationally anyway. So whether they're in the US college system or playing in Europe... Um, but it, it, e- even in America, Hugh, they'd have their international limits on players per team. I don't know about the league. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, but I mean, we saw that with the um, in the ACL when they have the, the, the three plus one rule, and um, you know, Guizhong have the three plus one, and then they've naturalised two other. Well, one's a, a, a high quality Brazilian and a, an English player, so they're three plus one. If you nationalise players. You, you, you bypass those rules anyway. But, um, the, yeah, it's disappointing the Phoenix couldn't get in because, yeah, we were, as Tom said, we were going to see some yeah. high-quality players and developing players from New Zealand um, and would allow the W League that, that exposure, some of the emerging players, like the, the lovely Miranda <laughs> next to me, to, to have international flights and, pl- and playing in these, um, you know, basically international fixtures. So, yeah. so flip that over to the A-League, where yep. we've got Wellington Phoenix men's team in the A-League. Yep. Yep. So 
you'd have some national players playing in the Wellington Phoenix squad. Well, and, and most of them have migrated yeah, exactly. into other A League teams. Yeah, that's though. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's uh, initially when uh, when they first came in as the New Zealand Knights. I mean, it was basically your, your New Zealand. Um, all, uh, well, all whites, I can always yeah. have the All Blacks, the All Whites. It was basically the New Zealand all side, right. but nobody complained about that. Because <laughs> mm. um, we were beating them all the time. So. Yeah, well, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> all right, joining us now on air is the um, chair of the FA, Football Australia, no, no, the FFA, and Chris Niku. Good morning, Chris. How are you? Hi, guys. Good to be with you again. Good. We've just been having a chat with uh, Tom Samani about um, a ladies' team from New Zealand joining in the W League and, and his opinions on that and the, the rules that have, have stopped them from having that team in. Um, your thoughts? Oh, look, the request for a team came in very late, less than mm. two months before yeah. the, the W League season. So, And um, as part of the unbundling, these decisions need to be made by uh, Football Australia and uh, at this point in time, it just wasn't able to be proceeded with the next season. So I expect we'll look at it again for the following year, but um, it was pretty rushed in the end and we made a decision that uh, all things equal, it wasn't possible for the next season. I suppose when you think about that, it, well, I think of the A-League and the Wellington Phoenix and the A-League and the amount of travel we put Perth into it and Wellington into it, that's a hell of a lot of travel uh, that is equal to cost and dollars mm. of um, teams being financially viable to be a part of that league. So if you th then think of the W League and you think of the age, students, youth, and how the W League is even going to operate um, in Perth Glory to the hub system or the Eastern States in the W League and then throw in New Zealand, uh, just, uh, just there's a lot of money that I, I, I can't even fathom in my head how that would economically work. No. Um, yes, I was just going to say that certainly financials are always a consideration, but also, as we said, as an organisation, we have as a priority getting <laughs> minutes into our boys and girls. So that's mm. that's a key mm. livable for yeah. us as an organisation. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I've I've seen is uh, a lot of the codes around this the this country, um, winter, summer, are planning for hubs, mini hubs, and everything else, and. Um, the A-League is, is planning for a full season. It's uh, it's something the media haven't really picked up on, but do you really think we're going to get a um, a season as normal um, with, with all the restrictions? Uh, I think we'll get a season as normal as you can in the circumstances. Uh, fortunately, Australia as a whole, and Victoria, where I'm from, has come a long way in the last couple of months. Mm. Obviously, we had to finish the, the last A-League season in, in, a, in a pure hub, but with borders being predominantly opened and freedom of movement, we should be able to by and large complete an ordinary A-League season, unless there's another spike and of course if there's a vaccine that's made uh, available then that would make life a lot easier. Yeah, look I think it's a, a very brave and optimistic stance but I think it's great. Yeah, and, and credit to the to the owners, they've um, taken the uh, ball by the horn so to speak um, they've come forward with a summer of football, there's a game every day and uh, I think uh, most people are probably starved of a bit of football, both A League and W League. Absolutely. Now the the name change uh, going from FFA to FA. Do you do you see any problems, with, particularly with our cup competition? <laughs> <laughs> no, look, uh, there's been a lot of, a lot said in social media, but at, at the end of the day, the, the name change is uh, in part symbolic in, it, in that it aligns us with our member federations: Football West, Football Queensland, Football yep. Victoria, and the like. And one of the things that we've spoken about over a number of years now is the need to align the sport at, at all levels of the pyramid. And so this is just symbolic of, 
of our desire. Uh, so, you know, um, aligned in name and aligned in nature really is the mantra going forward. Yeah, no, look, I think it's, it's a good move. But um, obviously the FFA Cup has to now what become the um, Australia Cup or something of that nature, or will there be another another oh, name? I, I, I won't preempt anything, but watch this space. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're looking to make the um, Premier Cup competition in the country have a bit more teeth to it, um, yeah. including some extra uh, advantages by the ACL. Yes. So, can can you expand on that? Because uh, you know, there's the second tier ACL uh, competition, which I understand is for um, for cup winners. Would Australia then get a direct entry into that? Um, uh, we'll be looking to see whether the winner of the FFA or the FA Cup, depending on how we yep. rename it, uh, would be given potentially a half slot for the Asian Champions. Yeah. Oh, okay. So then, uh, pre qualifying. Yeah, it would get them into um, a, a playoff, uh, and I think that that means every country, every club in the country can aspire. Uh, mm. Yeah, the uh, AFC is actually unique. The AFC's just released their um, uh, criteria for the next um, ACL. Uh, Australia's actually dropped a spot, so we get one team guaranteed entry and wow. two teams have to qualify. Wow! So, mm. which I mean, to be fair, we haven't performed in the last couple of years, so yeah. you can see why. But so, um, as we said. COVID's had a, a real uh, effect on everybody this year. Um, going forward, we're hoping for, obviously, a, a good 2021. Um, I noticed that the um, the, the Socceroos under-17s were playing against MacArthur behind closed doors as a warm-up. Going into the Women's World Cup and going into the Olympics, um, how do we see us having um, quality opposition in those competitions going forward with all the COVID restrictions? Yeah, so we've got to really navigate it around that. So our Matildas coach, uh, Mr Gustafson, was pretty keen to get the Matildas in camp in London, but that wasn't possible because of COVID. So unfortunately, we will have to come back to that. So we're looking to put together a calendar where we can give them as much um, meaningful competition uh, leading into the Olympics. So for the first time, obviously, in a long time, we've got both the Ollie Roos and the Matildas playing. And the Socceroos calendar will kick in again. Yep. Uh, but the emphasis really is on the Matildas and the Oliroos to give them meaningful competition ahead of uh, Tokyo next year. Chris, uh, what about a Women's FA Cup? Is that on the cards at all in the future? Yeah, that's that's in the thinking. So, I mean, obviously we're going through a period of great transition, but in our, in our ideal world, yes, um, I'd like to see a Women's uh, Cup competition as well. Okay. And something that uh, I think has been growing in momentum, especially this year, is uh, eSports, like gaming, and uh, the amount of people engaging in football online and the amount of money and sponsorship that's going into it. Has the FA had any thoughts about making that a, a larger financial part of uh, income stream, perhaps, for football here? Well, yeah, the eSports the e part is sort of bundled together with the a AW and Y League, and so it'll be predominantly a, a club-driven uh, initiative, but certainly that side of the sport is going uh, gangbusters, but probably Australia's still at the very start of that evolution, is my impression. Yeah, I suppose look, when we, we talk about Australia as a whole, um, we look at the funding within the game, and there's lots of talks about the, the game being funded from the grassroots up and the costs of the game. Um, and then you look at the, the money that both federally and uh, state level governments give to other codes, in particular the AFL. I mean, in our state, I think they give... Um, 
12 or 13 million to the the West Australian Football League federally I know there's been you know sums of 30 odd millions given to AFL clubs to build their facilities um, do we see that we need to have a, a a better political profile and I mean this this is obviously the, the home of a fair go and we're not really getting a, a, a fair sucker to save. <laughs> yeah certainly we'd, we'd like to have more on the government front we have a dedicated government subcommittee at board level that looks at these things um, the, the pleasing thing is we, we are seeing more investment across the country and typically it's around uh, a home of football in certain states including WA mm-hmm. uh, South Australia has benefited but I've been privy to the, the roadshow, if you like, uh, with FIFA and the state governments around picking host cities for the Women's World Cup in 2023. And tangible legacy, i.e. investment in infrastructure, is a key determinant for FIFA. So um, in the sessions that I've had, um, certainly the, the state federation, or rather the state governments, uh, are making the case for investment in the sport. So, so but more to do, but certainly some promising signs. Yeah, definitely. And there's also other pressures from the um, from FIFA around professional leagues and the registration of players. Is is that having much effect around the, the country? Uh, I, I think actually the whole ecosystem um, is probably a discussion we should have in 12 months' time to see what the next 12 months brings us. I mean, with COVID-19, people thought, oh, no one wants, no one will want to come to the A-League. Well, the opposite is true. You can see that the A-League clubs are recruiting some good talent. Mm. Uh, so... Um, I think Australia is still a good destination for, for footballers, but obviously as the governing body, we're also keen to see the next generation of talent being given game time and get the minutes into them. Uh, that, that's important for us. I'd just like to make uh, an observation. Being a totally passionate female football person uh, is that the profile of female football in this country and around the world has grown so much along with the esports thing this year. They're the two most things that have really stuck out in my head about what has happened this year. And I'm, I'm really pleased about that. I'm just registering my my pleasure with you that um, in the past it just hasn't happened, but it's gone exponentially this year that um, we've had footballers just before COVID really hit leave to go to Europe and the profile there has meant that there's been podcasts, there's been streams online, there's been all these social platforms that have uh, shown us our footballers that have left Australia and we can still see them but also here the programs and profile has been much better so the system has worked in some way so that has been a really good thing about this year Chris. Yeah, and I agree with that. And we said at the AGM um, earlier uh, this week and that to our members previously that going forward, the women's game will be a central pillar of what we're doing. Um, so much of the activity that Football Australia um, is putting into place will be um, you know, utilising the women's game as an engine room because I think there's significant upside and um, I think there's much that we can show the world um, on a number of fronts. The women's game is just one of them. Who are going to be the ambassadors that you're going to put forward? We'd, we'd like to hear some more from Anno Dong, maybe Lisa Devana. And if our players are actually overseas playing, who are the female voices of the game here that are going to inspire our generation? Well, I think you'll see um, a little bit of a calibration. I think obviously we've had an exodus of uh, quality talent going to the English leagues and, and some other leagues, but... Um, the next generation is coming through. I see Michelle Heyman's come back to Canberra and the photo I saw yesterday of her. Yep. She looks pretty relaxed and I think she's just wanting to play some football, but clearly she's got a mentoring role and um, 
she's been there and done that, and I think she's just enjoying not having the pressure, but to enjoy her football. And there'll be other examples around the country, Barbieri and, and, and so. Uh, Lisa wants to play domestically. These are all people who have been great contributors to our sport, and we'd welcome working with them. Yes. Um, can I ask what's been the most challenging thing that you've been able to turn around into a success story this year? Um, winning the Women's World Cup wasn't so easy. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to have an in-camera session about that one. But um, that was one where, you know, we were getting told a couple of years back, don't bid for it. Um, you know, we'd, we'd been there and not had a great experience. Um and, but I think over time, by being um, you know, productive citizens with the AFC in particular and internationally, um, we were able to build relationships and show why a joint bid with our New Zealand colleagues, uh, one, would be a great tournament, but two, would help FIFA achieve its objectives around the women's game. Mm. And, and does that, that faith now show that there's a recovery in the, the brand for, for a while there after the, the scandals of the World Cup bids and all those other things have kind of tainted the game? It's, it's coming back, and within some of the appointments you've made, in particular Peter Philopoulos, who came into the glory at a time when their brand was damaged and, and really turned that around, I see that as a significant appointment in building some credibility and, and building some faith in the brand. Yeah, I think if you look at the, all the appointments that we've, we've tried to make, that there are good football people um, at the heart of it, whether that's someone like Sarah Walsh, who's on the senior management team, or Jane Fernandez with the Women's World Cup. Peter Philopoulos obviously is a long-time administrator yep. and knows all aspects of the sport, not just at the professional men's league, but the member federation. Uh, and I think people are seeing him with James Johnson, of course, uh, mm. that we've got we've got really capable people in the football family, uh, broadly speaking, and it's good to have them in important roles. Now, one thing that does, and I think grinds a lot of people's gears, is the MPL. And there was a, a review that was started off um, by the previous TD that's now stalled. Um, are we looking at, at coming up with something uniquely Australian rather than following a Dutch or a Belgian model? And the the, the MPL across the state or across the country is getting some, lots of criticism. Are we looking at rebuilding something that works for everybody? I I think in whatever we do, it's got to be Australian. Yeah. Um, our culture our culture is unique, and certainly you can observe other systems. But I think to try to shoehorn a system in just because it works overseas doesn't necessarily mean it works here. But on the NPL, there's been a lot of work done. There are sort of weekly and or fortnightly calls between our management team, the CEOs of the member federations, where these things are sort of fleshed out. But I think you'll find in anything we do, we, we want an Australian flavour to it. Yep, um, and I think you get no argument from us. I think you know, there's been some criticism of the NPL across the way. Um, MP, NPL and WA is very different because, again, within Australia, we are, we are quite unique in distance and the, the political climate here. But, you know, we, we, we'd be keen to see some changes. Um, I think we're headed in the right direction. I really thank you for being on today and, and for your availability throughout the year. Um, all the best to you and your family and, and the rest of the FA family for the, the 2021. Pleasure and all the best to you and your listeners and um, hopefully 2021 is a wonderful year for football in this country. Thanks, Absolutely. Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. All right, Chris Nicku, um, FA head. It's, look, it's... Yeah, they they have changed direction. I think we're they're listening more, um, and I think it's you know it all takes time to turn a big cruise liner around.
it, it's good to hear what he said about the uh, the F. Well, what was previously the FFA Cup and is now the Australia Cup or whatnot? Because I was I had this feeling that it was all going to get forgotten about. You know, post COVID, you know they they cancelled it this year because of COVID. Fair enough, but I just had this bad feeling that they'd be like, oh, it's all too hard to resume it and we'd lose the competition. So mm. it's good to hear that they sound like they're they're trying to bring it back. And and as he said, even the cup winner gets a spot in the AFC Champions League qualification round. So you could conceivably see a state league cup club representing Australia. Mm. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Something to work that'd, towards. That would be a big boost for a, Absolutely. You know, a South Melbourne or a Coburn City. Or yeah. 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 There's a lot of changes uh, coming up. There's a lot of considerations on the table. And I, I think, you know, the model of the, the business model, which doesn't just mean economic viability, but the compatibility with the system, like the, the bringing people in that can work to advance football in the community in the Australian way, what works best for the Australian way and engages us all. We're a bloody big country. Yep. So it's not just the considerations of the money, it's the how we're going to actually physically implement some of these things from one side of the country to the next. Absolutely. What's the answer? <laughs> 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 Well, the thing is, there is no simple answer, and that's no, the whole point. Just to you keep know, working on it. We're going to keep working at it. The the things that haven't changed is Australia is still a big country. There is still a lot of distance, yep. and that's always been there. And, and the sooner we stop using it as excuse to not do things, the better. We've got to. We've all got to work together and. and Say, right, that's what it is. That's what it costs to run a, uh, a competition. Let's just make it happen. And I think what we've got to do is we've got to be results-driven ra- rather than environment-driven. And we go, this is where we want to be, and then we've just got to work out uh, to get there. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Sean here. Yes, um, and joining us on the line now is the AAFC Chair, Nick Galatas. Good morning, Nick. How are you? Yeah, well, thanks. Hello, all. How are you? Good afternoon. Good. We've just been talking with um, Chris Niku about the FA's direction and things like the the new Australia Cup or whatever they're going to call it, um, yep. and the the tyranny of distance, which you know all of these things, um, particularly for the AFC, when you're looking at the a, a second tier comp, um, yep. are vitally important. How is that going? Because I think two years ago I, I spoke someone talking about that it was going to be happening the, the following year um, and like all of these things it's never that simple well yeah um, sometimes you wonder why it isn't <laughs> um, I was on the show I think I'm not sure now two or three weeks ago yep. we had a bit of a yep. chat maybe a bit longer I've lost track of time with uh, COVID and everything else but um, it's look we're working as AAFC um, we're putting together what we think is possible and what, what our clubs can do and we've let FFA know that and in fact I was up in Sydney uh, this week, um, doing some work on that with um, AAC people, clubs, and a consultant who appointed to help us. I met with a, um, FA, I should say, now about it as well, and just informed them what we're up to. So we're we're working on what we can do um, in the eleven principles that um, Football Australia has put out. You will have all seen that they talk about. You know, that's their that's their next step. Really, having um, completed the unbundling with the A League, they're now going to focus on. Hopefully, some of the other issues, like the NPL review, I heard you speak to Chris about that a few yep. minutes ago, um, and where we love to get that restarted. And we see the two things together. Actually, they're linked: the NPL review and the um, the national second division. Because what we've got again, hearing you with tyranny of distance and our unique sort of um, Australian environment um, that I think Chris spoke to as well, um, we've ended up with very, very many clubs in our sort of second tier, let's call it, uh, being the NPL which are very different. Uh, mm. 
you know, WA to New South Wales to Tasmania to you know to Northern Queensland and of course the biggest centres down the eastern seaboard, uh, big and small. So you've got them all compressed in a very narrow band. And what we see, what we see is that sort of a principle of ours is that if you, you we need to sort of let them float a bit. Some will go down a bit, and some will go up a bit, and, and feel that the space, you know, the club space, if I can sort of conjure up an image. Yeah. So that, you know, some of the ones that are stronger and more aspirational can move in and fill a bit of a vacuum. It's, you know, below the A-League and where the NPL is, and some of the others can be a bit unburdened from trying to comply with all these regulations, which end up costing kids a lot of money to play the game. So Absolutely, we're hoping that that's yeah. the next step. Yeah, I, I think when I remember talking back with uh, a while ago with Rabbi Kram about the, yep. the the second tier and it had some wonderful concepts that I thought you yep. know and I hope we haven't lost them in as no. much as each of these teams not only had to field a no. men's team but they had to field a women's yep. team, and exactly. that, and that the budgets for both teams were identical. <laughs> well, well it was. You know, we, we've we've worked on um, you know we, we put out a model back in 2017. Yeah. Um, at the end of the you know, and we've obviously um, now we're developing that, and we're developing it a little bit by taking into account, of course, what uh, you know uh, what we're hearing from Football Australia and our clubs and the federations, because we don't want to do it in a vacuum. I mean, it would be a bit silly mm. for us to pretend we can't hear anybody and go out there and build something and say, here it is, and then someone will say, well, hang on, but you've been listening to us say X, Y, and Z. Why are you doing something that doesn't correspond to what's out there? So we're trying to build um, what we think uh, will be um, will fit in with the 11 principles, will fit in with the aims of the game, and will enable our clubs to to grow. And the women's part of it is a key, is a key component. I mean, we, we, we know, of course, we're, uh, you know, we've won the World, uh, the World Cup uh, the right to bid, uh, sorry, to host mm. the World Cup in 2023. Uh, I've personally been involved a lot in the women's game at, at club level when I was um, chairman of South Melbourne. My daughter plays, uh, and, and I've got a very, I've coached the uh, women's football a little bit, and not a particularly great level, but I've done it. Mm. Uh, and I think I've got a bit of a handle on, on it. And to me, it's the most exciting component of our game as we as, as we move into the, the near future. It's just, yeah. just unbelievable, I think, the opportunity that we can, um, uh, that we, we can, uh, t- take advantage of. No, I just thought it was something laudable that you you had that that principle that the budgets would be the same. And I know you get a little bit of laughter when you, you say that, but yeah. I think it's yeah. it's a serious aim and and well worth chasing. Um, yeah. The other thing is obviously with pre COVID and post COVID. Um, pre COVID, we the airline industry hadn't been smashed to the degree it has been, um, and the, the travel thing, although it's it's there, it's still real. And finding enough sponsors and the ability to to financially um, drive that is is that been looked at? Absolutely. Well, well, this week, in fact, <laughs> uh, we've had meetings this week, so just a week just gone by. So yes, we're dealing with that, um, and, and obviously it's a cost. And, 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 and actually, um, clubs travelling uh, interstate uh, is a challenge. I mean, you guys feel it acutely in, in WA, uh, and one of the um, uh, mechanisms that we're working on in our model, the one that we, we um, you know, say can work, is to have a bit of a central travel fund, and really it's to, to benefit some of the more outlying uh, clubs that may join a national second division, such as. A club from WA or you know, Perth or Fremantle, wherever it might come from, because clearly it will have it will be more disadvantaged than others. Mm. Are you talking about amortising costs? Uh, a little bit, yeah. So we are, we are talking a bit about um, we're working uh, the model that we're we're working on does include uh, a central a central fund, which is partly there to 
um, amortise some travel costs because it would be hard, of course, for a for a WA uh, team to, oh. to come over. Yeah, but also... Uh, what it does, it would have to come over. And, and, and what would happen, of course, is that there'd be more than one team in, in such a model if it were to be introduced. There'd be more than one team from, say, Sydney and more than one team from, say, Melbourne. So they would at least get... Not only they have you know less to travel between Melbourne and Sydney or Brisbane, mm. but they also would have weeks where they'd play other Melbourne or other Sydney teams, whereas... Yeah. Uh, it's unlikely that there'd be more than one first team initially, so that it, it would have to play away every second week. Yeah. And of course, that's a challenge. So we're, we're aware of that, and, but you know, we'd have to try and introduce something that enables um, a first team to apply and to get in, yeah. all else being equal, and not be disadvantaged by by travel. And, and in Rabbi's case, you know, he comes from from Cairns, so a team from far north Queensland is is also yeah. equally. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah distance. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Um, yeah. No, look, I think it's it's great. It's, it's nice to hear that, that things are working in the background. We don't always hear about them, but you know, it uh, it would be nice to to actually see something tangible. I see a lot of clubs have well, been joined in. We've we've got Perth and, and Bayswater from yeah. from WA. That's right. And, and what we look, we'd love to provide almost weekly updates. It's a bit difficult, mm. and we're we're engaging as best we can with. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, entities such as, of course, Football Australia, where we're keeping them informed of what we're doing. And they're, they're of course, the, the governing body it will be Football Australia that introduces the National Second Division, not us. But we, we say that the, the, the participants, the clubs, will come from, you know, members of AAFC, NPL clubs now. So what we're doing is really doing a lot of work with our clubs to see what it is, what's their club capability, what it is now, what it might be. In a national second division, or you know, one of uh, we're looking at two or three different types of models to see what they can achieve in, in the post-COVID world uh, and what we can offer, because we, we think we're a magnificent resource for the game. I mean, these clubs have been around for an average of sixty odd years when you mm. take uh, across the board uh, the histories, and here they are. They've survived. They've got the runs on the board to use a, a crude analogy on yep. a football show, but but they've got the history there. They've proven themselves over time. And over, and over many challenges. So oh, look, think, and uh, in over 25 yeah. years of the, the A-League, some of those names are still ho- household yeah. names, like Heidelberg and, and South yeah. Melbourne. So, yeah, yeah, they should be there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and what, what they offer, I think, is, uh, is I mean, a continuity in oh, our game. Continuity, history, tradition, all, all of those DNA. things, yeah. which, which are all part of Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, that's right. Yeah. Know, that's right, yeah. So, look, great for coming on. Thank you very much for your time and thank you very, very much for all the hard work that you and your team are doing in the background. The, the sooner we can get a national second division up, the better um, for men and women and I uh, think it's, it's very important yeah. work that you're doing. And especially, sorry, if I can just say, especially yeah. in the World Cup, we, we want to make sure that, that, that we introduce more uh, places for women to play. Not just, I mean, the, the Matildas are a fantastic flagship for us, of course. Uh, and, and, you know, they're doing particularly well now. And, you know, they've got great players playing overseas leagues. And we hope we win the World Cup in 2023 in the Olympics. But we've got to make sure they keep coming through. So what Absolutely. we need to do is... And, and people are going to watch them play. I mean, it's fantastic watching women's football. So we need to, we need clubs where they can play at, at whatever level, not just the Tilders. And just like we watch men play, not at Socceroos level. Totally agree. Watching women play. Love, right. passion. Love, so, love your passion. Thanks yep. for having you on. Yep. Good on Thank you. you. Thanks, for Thanks. Thanks right, Nick. Bye. Have a good Christmas. Bye. Bye. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
Yeah, passion, okay. love it. Mm. Absolutely, that's what the game's all about. Now, you've been talking about the E-Leagues. Yeah. Uh, only three years ago, I was talking to Dylan Gomez, who was our glory E-player there, and people were going, what? Yeah. You know, we've been on, on the front edge of this for years, Pen. Yeah, okay. Crest of the wave, <laughs> that's what we are. <laughs> oh, I was hoping that before we go in, in yeah. a few minutes that uh, Len and his bags groove jazz show come up, that we could maybe just jump in with some um, news, like we normally go through A-League A and W-League mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and Pete usually just jumps right in, but he's been pretty quiet this no, whole show. Well, the, and look, and this ties into why we, we go quiet this time of the year. There is a lot of that stuff goes quiet. A lot of the clubs media go quiet. A lot of the people are, are involved in other things. And then some of, the, some of the things to get introduced or talked about, you know, people like Keep on the QT. I believe the State League are seriously looking at a third division. Okay. Ooh, and some news for you there. Drop it in. Yeah. Okay. All right. And and there's also, as has been alluding to all the show, there's been a lot of pressure on from the F not the FFA from FIFA and AFC for us in Australia to adhere to the professional deadlines and the, the signing and the um, player registrations and that we should actually have a second league and that well but the other thing is if you've got one professional player in your league the whole league is then considered professional professional league yeah Mm. so uh, there's a lot of pressure on us we've we've not been good at that side of the game i don't know how many um full-time or full-time professionals but how many professional players we had in either the npl or the wmpl that's the women's one for you pen Um, (laughs) but (laughs) i don't know how many had in a um on a professional basis and how that compared to other states that are comparable like south australia there's a topic yeah and i think well something i have been quite passionate about myself over the last few years because i think we fall behind it and there's there's all the old tired arguments about you know if you do that you've got to pay in superannuation i know merry christmas pen (laughs) (laughs) um so the a-league fixtures commence the a-league with a double header they have do they have a double header yes i haven't seen the bit about the double header okay I did see the glory fixtures, so they're out. Um, yeah. 16th of January? Yeah, theoretically it's home away, home and away, home and away, but in practice we've got two homes and away, three aways in a row, and we've yep. got a streak of four home games in a row, so I don't know why it's so difficult for the FFA to sort of just not alternate home and away a little bit more. No, we said this before, they do it in the EPL, they just put out a fixture list, and if they have to change it, they change yep. it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, we are finishing up now until the first Saturday in February. So, uh, Sean, Miranda, Hugh, Pete and Don, thank you everybody for being part of the team. All the contributors out there, all of our sponsors that will be jumping on board next year, West Coast Futsal, Gain Fence Hardware, Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. Um, and, and most next, importantly, anybody that's strapped on their ears and listened to us. Yeah, yeah. It's, just keep on listening in 10am um, to noon. And next week, Miranda and Hugh and myself are just going to be in the studio doing a little bit of a meandering talk back kind of program in the same space that's we'll not about football. Mic. <laughs> yes, you will. You absolutely well, will. We'll yeah, figure that be, one be out. Be aware of that one then, yeah. listeners. Good. <laughs> Over to you, Sean. No, not much to say. I wish you all in the studio and everyone listening at home a merry and safe Christmas. Um, let's all be there in the, in the new year and looking forward to a, a bright new 2021. Thank you, everyone, for listening in and being part of the show. Sean, you've got a hell of a lot of red buttons to push there. <laughs> I know, but I'll push every <laughs> single one the of them. Start left and go to all the right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. Oops, just that one. <laughs>
again next week at the same time for the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.